And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. So hello, welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. I'm Maggie, and today we are joined by our lovely guest. Johanny, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yes, I'm Johanny, Johanny Martinez-Cools, and I'm a writer, editor, and blogger, and I'm here with you guys. Yay! We're really excited. So happy to be here. (laughs) We're going to talk to Johanny a little bit about writing and publishing today, and we're super duper duper excited. We have a few, we have a quick intro game that we like to play with all of our guests. I'm going to... (laughs) That Harmony likes to play. Harmony likes to pretend that we're back in college and we need icebreakers. Let us be clear here. (laughs) I like games. I like games too. So you have 15 seconds to answer each question. Are you ready? Oh my god. Pressure. (laughs) Okay. Ready. And top three favorite books. Oh my god. Uh, The Wrath of the Dawn by Renee Adier. Uh, Who Fears Death by... I think it's pronounced Nedi... Okorafor? I'm sorry, I'm messing that up. And Everything You Love Will Burn by Vegas Tenold. Oh, they're so good. All right, next one. (laughs) Top three favorite genres. Um, That's easy. Okay. YA romance, YA mystery, YA (laughs) fantasy. Just love YA in general. I love that. All right, top three favorite authors. Oh, that's tough. See, I don't really follow a lot of people. But I do really love Renee Adier, and I can't remember the guy who writes um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <laughs> just really love those books. So whoever that guy is. Where time is up. Okay, all right, all right. Describe your dream job. I feel, I feel like I'm already doing my dream job. Like, I love editing fiction and writing and stuff. I just wish I was getting paid more to do it. But I already really love it. Describe your dream writing studio. Okay, so I've thought about this a few times. I would really love, like, a big loft, you know, and, like, the natural light comes in. So it's all, like, sunny, wakes me up. I want, like, a bed in there somewhere so I can take a nap if I'm (laughs) thinking or writing too or too long. And then I want, like, a giant desk that will have all my, like, books and and everything just on it. And, you know, when you walk in, you're just like, I'm ready to write. Hey, this is Liz. Hey, this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. We are talking Star Wars, Star Trek, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you find awesome podcasts. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. See you soon. 
Yeah. You went over 15 seconds, but I allowed it because that just sounds like so dreamlike. I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate you. It does sound very beautiful. It's like very Instagram worthy. Yes, exactly. Megs, do you, do you want to ask our first question? Sure. I'll do it. How long have you been writing? I've been writing since I was like eight years old. So I think like third grade. Do you remember what your first story was? Yes. I was, I don't remember what it was called, but it was about this three-year-old girl who was a spy. <laughs> and it was like, because she was so small and cute, she kind of got away with everything. And then her mom would like bust in and be like, okay, it's, it's bedtime. You got to go. <laughs> she would like always like throw her plants. <laughs> that is adorable. And I don't remember what happened to her. Yeah, right? Like, I don't remember what happened to the pages, but they're somewhere. Do you have, like, a big box full of your old writing? I do. Like, a big old shoe box. They're just, it's a little cringy to look at them, so I don't, but I do have them. Aw. Okay. <laughs> when did you first discover you were, like, a real writer? Like, a real writer? That's, oh, um, it was when I was still third grade, but it was a different story. It was about a story of, like, this chicken who had, like, polka dots, and then she was alone because no one, no other chickens had polka dots. And then when she had babies, the babies had polka dots, and then she felt better, like, oh, it's not just me. And my third grade teacher sent home a letter to my mom and said, like, your daughter is such a great writer, and, like, her story was the best one. And I was like, oh, I'm good at this. Cool. (laughs) That's wonderful. And my mom was like, you should keep doing it. What inspired that story, if you don't, if you remember? Uh, it was a writing prompt. I think literally the prompt was just, like, write about a chicken that was green with purple polka dots. And I was like, okay. <laughs> then I just did it. And I, I don't know. I wasn't proud of it until the teacher said it. And I was like, oh, neat. Aww, that's lovely. Thank you. How long would you say that you've been writing, like, professionally? I would say... It's probably since Entity. Well, I was in Harmony and I were in there together because that was the first time I had gotten paid to write. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but, you know, we, I was getting paid to do it. So I think that was the start of it. So I think it was, what, like May 2016? And then, like, since then. Yeah, I can see that. Was that, um, oh, what do you prefer to write about and why? Okay, I'm, okay I love writing about, like, current events, you know? Like, it's just so easy to write about them. Basically, anything, like, real. So, like, I love writing about, I don't know, like, climate change and, like, any really, like, big news story because I like to sit there and analyze it and, like, why do we think it's important? What does it mean? Or are we really looking at, like, the big picture? And I would prefer, I wish I loved writing fiction more, but real life is kind of more interesting sometimes. Really? Even though you, like, kind of started writing fiction, like, as a kid? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just not good at characters and plotting. <laughs> like the whole thing of writing, but I, I don't know. Putting it on paper for some reason is just really difficult for me. I understand that. There's like a lot of world building. I have the same struggle, I think. <laughs> right. It's just tough. But I don't know. In real life, everything's just right there. So you don't, have to, you don't have to put as much thought into it. That's very fair. Megs, do you have a question? No, I just think that's super funny because I am, like, totally the opposite. I'm just totally the opposite where, like, fiction for me is a lot easier than writing about real life. So that's, like, super interesting to hear hear that perspective. 
Yeah. But I think that you're right that real life sometimes is a lot more interesting, especially now that we're living in like some sort of dystopian soap opera. Like, you can't make this shit up anymore. <laughs> exactly. I literally wrote an article about that last night. Oh, really? So you're saying everything is, yeah, for real. And I was like, this is just too much. It feels like a, like you said, like a soap opera reality show. And you almost forget that this is real life. Yeah, absolutely. Changing gears just a little bit. Why did you decide to go into the publishing industry? It's really because I love books so much. Like, I just, I may not read as much as I used to, but I just love fiction so much. It's like amazing. And, and and like helping writers achieve their dreams by editing the work and making it better. It's just something that really touches my heart. And when I see like the books I've edited on Goodreads and like they got high reviews, I'm like, oh, I helped that happen, you know? Yeah. It's really fulfilling for me. So wait, wait, you decided to go into the publishing industry kind of um, recently though, right? Yeah. Well, I decided it before. I just got a chance to this year. Okay. Do you want to, yeah. if you feel comfortable with it, do you want to tell us a little bit about like how that chance occurred? Yeah, yeah no problem. Um, my friend, Jessica, she goes, she's always on Twitter, like looking at stuff and she's, she finished her manuscript recently. So she's been like scouring around looking for like agents and editors and everything. So she came across this tweet from uh, my mentor, Krista Desir. And she was like, I need a, a romance uh, apprentice. So someone who can like take half of my workload. And I applied. And then Krista got so many good applications. She like made a mentorship out of it. So she gives us some of the work that she has. And then I'm like gaining experience. And I'm like, oh, okay, see, this is really great. I can do this now. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of practice with a writer's group that I've been doing since like 2017. That's like where I got most of my, I guess, experience from. But like professionally getting paid for it was, I think, like this March, this, this past March. That's really cool. So is the writing group like you were just editing other people's work or like like um, helping each other with like your own drafts? Yeah, that's pretty much how it is. It's set up like a business sort of, but nobody's getting paid. <laughs> it's like a professional atmosphere and like. You have to, you know, you have to know how to deliver criticism properly and like in a kind manner and you copy it as well. So it's kind of like a whole thing. And that really helped me with the, my career now. So that's great. That's awesome. Thank you. You mentioned that you're mostly reading uh, romance. Is that is that the genre that you're working with most now professionally? Yeah, Okay. definitely. Which is funny because I didn't, I love YA romance, but like it wasn't the only thing that I read. And now it seems like I'm exclusively reading, almost exclusively reading like romance. And I was like, wow, I actually really love it. <laughs> like way more than I thought. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you come across like any favorite tropes or anything from the genre when you're reading it? Yes. Yeah, I really love the whole like, I hate you at first, but then I love you later. <laughs> I hate love thing. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's been my favorite since I was a teenager. And like, so when I see it in work, I'm like, oh. Yes, please. That's a hot one. Or, or in the one where like you get stuck with somebody, you know what I mean? Like you get you're stuck in like a situation. They have to learn how to work together to get out of it. Oh, so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Romance is like so pure and hopeful in this world right now. It really is. It's such a good distraction. 
for sure. Sorry, Harmony, I interrupted you. No, I, I agree. I was just, when you were talking earlier, Johani, about um, preferring real world, preferring to write about the real world, and Maggie brought up the crazy soap opera era that we live in. I was wondering, like, mm-hmm. if that makes it harder for you to write about the real world. Not that it makes it more difficult to write about the real world, because like I said, everything's just here, you know? Everything's already happening, and I just pretty much need to be like, oh, this is happening, let me talk about that. But, I mean... I guess it does make my job nicer because then like that's fiction so I don't have to worry about the real world while I'm working but I mean when I have to write like when I'm a contributing writer so I have to write articles for that and that's based on the real world so it kind of feels like a break like in between the two you know it doesn't make one harder than the other that's perfect you get the best of both worlds that's right I'm also interested to know because you're you're working with romance um and just so you know, Maggie is also a married lady. Like, <laughs> does this, does that Yay! affect reading, reading these lovely romance novels? Like, do you think that that affects your own relationship or like, does it make it better or does it reflect your real life at all to a certain extent? Uh, oh, not quite. I mean, Mar, our story is a little different than what I've read because like we've been together since we were in high school and pretty much like haven't broken up since then so so it's been a very like consistent long relationship and like we grew up Christian and we didn't it's just very like you know I don't know what to say with that but you know what I mean? It's just like different. So most romances I read are like people who are adults already and like they've already had a, a bunch of relationships and when they get together, I don't know, it's just different. But it doesn't really like affect my relationship necessarily. But when I read all the gooey stuff, I kind of look at my husband and I'm like, I have someone special. <laughs> and he kind of like reminds you like, wow, I'm lucky too. Aww, that's very sweet. <laughs> Oh, okay. I I think I'm done. Maggie, do you want to take the the next question? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I don't even know where we're at anymore. I'm like, so (laughs) we got so sidetracked. We're going off script already. Do you know the identity of the writers that you're working with? Do you find that the, especially the romance field is kind of predominantly uh, kind of overrun by certain voices? Yeah, definitely. It's almost exclusively white women. And most of the clients I've worked with have been white women. And that's not, I mean, it's not that that's bad in and of itself, you know, it's just, it's just something you notice, especially if you're not a white woman, (laughs) you just got to notice almost everyone else is. You're always editing that kind of work. So it's, I don't know. I just mostly deal with them. I think that's really interesting because I listen to a lot of podcasts and one of the podcasts I listen to regularly is called the rom pod. And one of the things they continually bring up is that like the romance genre is the only genre where women writers dominate, but it does seem still kind of problematic because it, it sounds like it's not a very diverse genre. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Unfortunately. So one of the things then that we wanted to talk about a little bit was um oh oh why do you think why do you think that um it's mostly white women uh that's oh it's a whole lot of things um a lot of it is like people of color and other marginalized groups we just like don't have the connections and the resources to get more exposure and a lot of uh 
publishing houses, I'm sure everyone knows they're in New York and people can't afford to move to New York. New York's already like really expensive. And I mean, imagine like pick, you already don't have enough and then picking up everything you have and then moving to New York, which costs a lot of money. And then apartments are like thousands of dollars. And you know what I mean? And then on top of that, you have to like find a job and <laughs> get an education. It's just a whole like big thing. So, uh, a lot of the, my mentor told me specifically, a lot of the women just all have the same education. They all more or less know each other. They all have the same like connections, give or take. So they're kind of like all, it's almost like a, not like an echo chamber, kind of like they're all together. They're sort of all the same, have the same voice. And so it's, it's exclusionary. You know what I mean? Do you think that the writing that they're producing also ends up being exclusionary because there aren't enough diverse voices? I think so. It's, it, yeah, it is. That's, that's honest. Cause most of the, even like in those novels, I almost never see a person of color as the love interest. Like the main character usually isn't usually a person of color. And like, even like in the book, there are no people of color, like even the supporting characters typically aren't. So it's a very like white book. It's a kind of a very white industry and genre, you know, which like I said, which is unfortunate. Not to say that there aren't people of color writing romances because they are. They're just they're just not necessarily appealing to the bigger audience, if that makes sense. How does that if you feel comfortable talking about it, how does that affect like you as a reader or other people you know as readers if they can't see themselves? Because you you mentioned that you really enjoy romance. So like, how does that affect yeah. your reading experience? If, well, if I'm being honest, when I was younger, it affected it a lot because I thought it's it's one of those things where like, because you only really see white like romance and m- most of the representation is white, you, you almost like, internalize it so when I was younger I would try to write a romance actually the the third grader in my story she was a white girl she didn't look like me then like other romances that I tried writing they were like white people even though I'm not white but that's what I ended up writing and I realized that's what I was reading all the time but I didn't even notice it until I want to say like two or three years ago where I saw that challenge where you only read uh, people of color for a year and then I did that and I was like, oh my God, like I've, I've been missing out. <laughs> I did, but I didn't realize it until someone pointed it out to me. So that's, that's a whole thing. And I mean, it, I know it affects other people because you feel like the other, especially when you're reading a romance novel or any book. And then the person of color who is like explained is almost always explained by their race. So you're like, Ooh, <laughs> I'm other. I'm not like, normal I guess okay Maggie and I recently just read um a book called the witches of New York and one of the things we found difficult about the book was that it didn't appear like there were any people of color but we didn't know Mm -hmm. if that was because Amy McKay the the author of the book didn't like mark those people as people of color and so I don't know. As two white girls, like that was kind of a struggle that we were thinking about. We were like, well, is it better to just leave it ambiguous or is it better to like showcase that there are, that there is diversity? And it was coming from a white author. Do you have any opinions on that? I do. I think there's a way, there's a way to describe people of color without like necessarily pointing out their race. 
because if you i mean if you just point out like oh this is a black person this is an asian person it's just kind of like okay like it feels a little lazy but then when when other white characters are described they're described by like their hair and then like their skin and their eyes and you're like okay this person's white but like if i think if you can describe someone's features without necessarily pointing out like they're black or whatever it would be different like if for example if you want to explain someone's skin color i think an, an interesting more creative way to do that would be like point out the actual color is it sable is it almond is it like those sorts of things because that's more clear picture without necessarily calling out race and for me specifically i think that's kind of like Oh, like you have to actually think like, oh, what color is that? And then when you realize what color it is, you're like, oh, okay, this person is of this race. And if you point out features that aren't like typically made fun of, so like, I don't know, let's just say like, like me as an Afro-Latina, right? If you point out like, oh, that I have a bigger nose or something and like my hair is a certain way, it's like, oh, well, people get made fun of for big noses and like having their hair look nappy and stuff. So it's, I know it's a fine line to draw, but I mean, in that case, I really think author, white authors need to talk to people of color and ask them, like, how do they want to be presented and written down? Like, you got to do your research, really. And I think that's the best way to avoid that kind of, um, dis I guess, description problems. You know what I mean? And I also think white authors really need to ask themselves, like, why, why are they really the right kind of person to write about other people of color? I don't know if that makes sense because like I said, some some white authors, like I had a client who wrote about a random like side character and literally pointed out that the man was quote a big black guy. And I was like, uh, why, why did you and no one else in the scene, no one else's race was mentioned. It was just that guy. And I was like, oh yeah, exactly. I was like, okay. So <laughs> I know. Interesting, to say the least. And I had to point that out to him, like, hey, you can't, you can't do that if you're going to explain, like, if you're going to describe him, you should describe everybody, not just him. And anyway, that answered the question. Oh my gosh. Okay, just all process. <laughs> I feel like, oh gosh. <laughs> it was a bit like, oh, okay. Very tone deaf. Uh, yes yeah exactly and I think a lot of white authors come off that way because I think they don't expose themselves to people of color they're not asking they're not hiring people of color editors they're not hiring those sensitivity readers they're just sort of like I don't know they're just like talking with the people around them who aren't from those communities so then like I was saying you have to ask yourself am I really the right person to write from this perspective or write about these people because especially if you don't know anything about them I don't really think I don't think you should dive in not knowing what you're talking about. You really need to do your research, ask around, and then it, then you won't get uh, cringy, offensive terms like that. Just to be clear, though, like, white authors, so are, it's better, it, it sounds like what you're saying, and you can correct me if you're wrong, but, like, if you're not going to research other cultures, like, don't include them. But I, like, are you also supporting diversity? Just, like, do your research or? Well, I, okay, here's here's what I think about it. I really think, okay, because there's a problem with what you just said. Like, white authors writing about others, and that's supposed to be including diversity. What really needs to happen is people from 
marginalized communities, they need to be accepted more into publishing. They're really the ones who should speak for themselves in that way. That's what I believe. But I do also think that there, it is possible for a white author to write from a different person's perspective and it's accurate and it's, you know, not, it's not belittling or anything like that. Like there's a book that I really love called The Queen of Water and it was written by a white woman, but she spoke to the woman it was about. I can't remember the other woman's name, but it was about like this um, indigenous woman and they partnered together and they like kind of co-wrote it for years. So it was an accurate representation of her life, but it was written by a white woman. But I mean, they did the research together. So it ended up being like this amazing book. It was like really great. The lady it was based off of, she loved it. You know what I mean? So in that sense, I do think it is possible for white authors to do that. But I really think people of color need to be included more in the marketplace and in publishing houses. We really need them to be included. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, thank you for asking. So are you kind of in your position, you said that you're working kind of in a mentorship and then your boss kind of gives you part of her workload. Are you then able to kind of like really make a concerted effort Uh in your position then to be like pushing for reading work uh, from marginalized communities then? Oh, not quite. That's not really like my job description, you know, so I I wish I could say something like that but it for the most part I just have to take the work as it is and if I do notice something problematic like I can point it out but the trick with that is you have to be very patient and kind in the way that you point it out and sometimes being patient and kind you could it could get lost in translation that you're like hey this this is really offensive (laughs) you have to like decorate it in a way so it doesn't sound like you're being like this is offensive you need to change it and it's it's a balancing act so sometimes you don't always get to push that it's really not my place to push it I'm, I'm supposed to just work with what I have so I think organizations like like uh, POC and publishing and that sort of thing like I think they can really push for it but me specifically in my individual work I can't really push that on the authors I don't know if that you know what I mean like if that makes any sense no, that makes total sense. And I and I think that makes a lot of sense just considering, I mean, I think it would be difficult for, for anyone in your position just because you're like you're working in a mm-hmm. mentorship where you're collaborating with so many different people and things like that. And like, yeah, that you made perfect sense to me for sure. Do you feel like there is more honest on, hmm, I don't know. I'm trying to think about how to phrase the question. So like, because you're you're some, not in a position in which you can, <laughs> I don't know. I guess like what I wanted to say is, yeah, I get that. And I think the question, even though I wrote it in itself might be a little unfair just because like you can't mm-hmm. be expected to do that all yourself, right. especially because you are like in a more entry level role. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there was a question there somewhere. It's okay. Maybe I'll form it later. It is tough. I mean, it's the people at the top, really, who have to change. And I mean, because they're the ones making all the decisions, like like the the marketers, the the other editors, like the top editors, publishing houses, the the agents, like they kind of, because they're the ones with all the power, they really have to make the changes. Because we, like you said, we, at the bottom, we can't, we can try, but if the people at the top decide not to change, nothing's going to change. And we can try our best to 
include force ourselves into the publishing industry, which is what uh, we're trying to do. Me and a few coworkers, we started um, a company called Tessera Editorial. So we're trying to build up a company where we can employ people of color and we can like uh, edit for people of color. You know what I mean? Like a buy people of color, for people of color kind of thing. But to get started, we have to edit a lot of like white authors at first. We have to appeal like to them first and then they can talk to their other high people, their agents and so on to give us power. So it really is like they, they have to approve of us really for us to go anywhere. You know what I mean? And that's, that's really tough. I, I can't, by myself, I, I just can't do it. And like even the organizations who are dedicated to including more people, they even can't do it themselves. There's not even like a whole lot of them. Are you seeing a little bit of that change at the top? Or do you think that things have been mostly static for the past couple of years? Well, me personally, I do believe it's getting better. But just like we saw, there was most recently like a whole scandal in the romance community where uh, there were uh, these awards and all of the nominees and all of like the winners were white. And it was like, what? Like, why? How did that happen? Like, we've been making so much progress. And then now like they're white women again are getting all the uh, awards and the rewards. So we are, I think, moving forward in a lot of ways. Like when I go to Barnes and Noble, for example, and I see like all these uh, books by authors of color, I'm like, oh yes, like finally, you know. But <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, if those don't necessarily appeal to everybody, right? Because like you can't you can't really relate to a specific experience. If you're in the majority and you're reading a minority book, you can't necessarily relate to it. So that doesn't sell. And then I don't know. It's it's tough. I do see some changes, but I don't think they're significant changes. As somebody who is coming from it just from like the consumer standpoint, I feel like something I've noticed is that like once or twice a year, I'm not a huge romance reader, but I'm friends with quite a few people who are. So I kind of have like sort of a periphery idea. I feel like once or twice a year, there's like a huge romance book by a person of color. And then it almost feels like from a lot of like the white reading community, it's almost like a this sounds terrible and it's not intended to be the way that way, but what I'm hearing is it's almost like a checkbox, right? Like when you have a book like The Kid Quotient by Helen Huang or, um, oh gosh, The Wedding Date, but I can't remember who the author is. Um, like those were two huge books this year. Yeah, there was those were really two huge books in the past couple of years and everyone was super excited because they were, you know, like representing autism and people of color and all of those things. But then it was like, those two books exploded and then there was nothing right like every it, it was like we got we went back to reading white female authors yes yes exactly i have a kind of unscripted question um that i was like thinking about as you guys were talking as a a white consumer i find that like this year alone the majority of the books that were my favorite were from people of color but i also wonder if that's cuz they were all like bestsellers and if that's a part of the problem, like maybe I'm just not getting right. like the average book. I mean, I think I do think that's part of it because like, again, th- I don't want this to sound mean either, but I mean, if it's bestseller, then mo- a lot of people only pay attention to which books are bestselling. Like if they're on a, an approved list, then they're like, oh, okay, it's got to be good. Let me read that. Right. But as you said, there's a lot of books that aren't on the bestseller list that are still good because I, I want to say... 
Who Fears Death if I, no, The Queen of Water for sure was not on like any best-selling list, but it was so good. I loved it. And like there are other books that aren't on those approved lists that people just forget about, even though they're really good. So I think that's, I think that's also part of it. They're, they don't have enough exposure. So like, I don't know. And I kind of feel like for some people, they think, oh, like like uh, Maggie said, oh, I read like one book by a person of color this year. Yay, like I'm diverse. or I'm so woke, look at me. Like, <laughs> I don't know if people tell themselves that, but I kind of feel like that's how it is. Like they get brownie points because, oh, look what I did, you know? And then just like Maggie said, it's like, well, they just sort of stop. And then that affects so many other things because now people are like, okay, well, we, like you said, we can go back to normal now. We don't have to really talk about this anymore. We can go back to the books that sell. And I don't know. It's it's almost like a vicious cycle. Like you said, as a consumer, you see it, but it's just not it's not getting the attention it needs. This is going so much deeper than I had ever dreamed. So I think we've already kind of talked about this, but um, about some of the barriers to being published for marginalized communities. Do you have anything else you want to add? You talked a little bit about... Mm-hmm like the fact that most publishing industries are in New York and that it's super fucking expensive to live here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you've experienced or seen? Oh, me personally? Like both experienced or that you've witnessed as like, um, you know, working in in the field. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. Like me personally, I um, was applying for work. Like I'm always applying for work because as a freelancer, you have to, you really need to keep it up and like make sure you're constantly doing, working on a project, right? So I was getting, I was like applying for different writing positions, editor positions, so on and so forth. And I included my name, which is Martinez hyphen cools, right? I wasn't getting any job offers, which was really frustrating. And then I got the idea because I saw an article that said, if your name sounds white, you're more likely to get like work. So I took out Martinez in my name and all of a sudden I'm getting like replies from people. So that already by itself is really, yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) And one employer, we had set up an interview and she looked at my LinkedIn profile, but I didn't change my profile picture in time because I wanted to just change it to like a graphic or something. So you couldn't tell what I looked like. And she saw what I looked like. And then the interview time happened and she was ignoring like all my emails and the interview just never happened. So yeah. It's so bad. It was really disappointing. And I mean, that's part of it, right? They like the racism that's just in the publishing industry, period. People don't want to pretend like it's not there, but it is. (laughs) There's that, right? And then the other barriers of entry is just, a lot of it's just money, you know? If you don't have money, you can't move to New York. If you don't have money, you can't can't spend time reading because you have to keep working. Or you, I'm sorry, you can't you can't write if you don't have time to do it because you're constantly working or you're tired. Like at the end of a long day, if you're working like two jobs and you have like family to take care of, or even just yourself to take care of, it's you don't have time to write. You don't have time to go to conferences. You can't pay for an agent or like an editor. It's there's just so so much of it is around money, and if you don't have connections, that's even worse because like you, it's harder to shoehorn yourself in if no one's rooting for you or no one's like helping you. You know what I mean? And and there's also, like, not just racism, but, I mean, if you're – a lot of homophobia, too, is in it. And it's it's a whole, like, encompassing thing. It, it feels like – it starts to feel like because you're not the ma- majority, you're almost, like, immediately excluded. And, it, I mean – 
that sucks. So I think a lot of people stop trying because they're like, I'm not getting anywhere with it. So yeah, I either need to self-publish or accept that no one's going to take me. It's a whole thing. It's hard. Like, I think that like, I don't know. I'm one of those people that wants to pretend I'm woke. And it's like, I hear these things, but it's also like, it's hard until you like actually hear it from like somebody, you know, and then you're like, Oh my God. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a nasty truth. <laughs> and you're like, Oh God. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a nasty truth. And like you said, people want to, people like to pretend that it's not still happening. And it totally, it totally is what happens to you. It really just feels like a slap in the face because you're like, I didn't, I, I like, I'm getting discriminated against just because of my heritage or just because of who I am. It's not even something I chose necessarily. And, and that's just my last name by itself is enough to disqualify me. And on top of the fact that I'm a woman and then on top of the fact that I have like a disability. So it's just like, ah, it just feels like all these things are against you at the same time. And I don't know. I think, like I said, I think a lot of people we're trying, we're trying to get in, but we need the help of white people to, push us forward and not, a lot of us may not know white people and if we're being honest there are a lot of white people who are in the publishing industry who are racist so they just don't want to take us in it's it's a whole lot of layers and you know it's complex and confusing and difficult so what can our listeners who probably don't work in the publishing industry like what can we as consumers do to help fight against this i'm assuming obviously you know buying work from people of color especially stuff that's not on the bestseller list but what what else can we do to help kind of end this mm -hmm. seemingly very overt racism in the publishing industry it's really it is a lot of it is like um, standing like authors of color and like buying their books and telling the publishing industry too that you that's what you want because I mean now we have Twitter right so we can talk like directly to these companies so if you if you're like telling them this is what we want, this is what we want, this is what we want, then eventually they they can't ignore you. Especially like you said, if you're buying the books and telling them directly, then they'll start to notice. Oh, okay, like this is what this is what people want, so they can like shift the market to okay, we know this is going to sell because this is what our consumers are telling us that they want. So I I do honestly think that's that's a huge part of it. It sounds kind of silly, like oh just give us money, but I mean that's kind of that's kind of a big part of it. I'm actually really interested also in what you were saying about Twitter. I have kind of a spin-off question that we didn't talk about, but I know that especially I'm not into Twitter, so some of this is like secondhand information, so I'm sorry if it's wrong, but I know that uh, especially YA kind of book Twitter has been pretty aggressive mm -hmm. about trying to contact mm -hmm. publishing companies and things like that in order to get more representation. And I think that in a lot of ways, it has been kind of wrongly labeled as like cancel culture. But I do know that there have been some aspects where kind of this intense Twitter backlash mm -hmm. has actually ended up inadvertently silencing authors of color. I know a couple of months ago, there was a, a huge scandal where uh, a YA book about by an author of color uh, about kind of people of color, essentially. I wish I could remember mm -hmm. the book name off the top of my head. I totally forgot about this until you mentioned Twitter. But the arcs were sent out, essentially. People were reading it. And like the backlash was so intense that the book actually got dropped by the publisher, even though it was by a person of color about their own experience. <laughs> and so I was like, 
I'm I'm really interested like how we can if you have any thoughts on that or if you heard about that scandal and how we can you know be crafting these conversations to be both firm but also still respectful because to me that just seemed like wild <laughs> to be perfectly honest yes yeah yeah I read I remember I think I read that in BuzzFeed and I was like what and I looked through it and saw the tweets and I, yeah yeah it was that was, was really bad I was I was surprised yeah I was really surprised that I didn't really expect that and oh I forgot to mention this for the last question really quick Another thing consumers can do is hire people of color as well. Like for, if you're writing a book, hire people of color. <laughs> it's like we need the work. Okay, moving on. So I remember seeing that. Yeah. And I think it's just really tough because when you're so starved for representation, it's almost as if like the res- representation that does show up, you want it to be like as perfect as it can be. You want it to represent you almost like exactly. And then when it doesn't, you get mad because you're like, oh, great. Like it's, it's still not representing me. So then I think a lot of people can get frustrated. And I mean, let's be honest, Twitter is a hellhole. Like people just get mad and, and they just like go off and it, it makes you feel better. But then it has real world consequences. Like I think another book, it wasn't just that one, the one you're talking about. There were like two of them. Yeah, they were, they were two at the same time. Right. And I was like, that is such a shame. Like they're, they're ripping, it's like you're ripping your own to shreds. And I, I understand it because not, not everyone, all because you're a person of color doesn't mean that you get a pass and everything you write is going to be like, great, obviously, because we're all human, of course. But I also don't think it's productive to rip a book to shreds solely because you don't agree with the representation. So for me, for example, what I want to do in some of my books is to write about a person of color who doesn't necessarily identify with their heritage. But right now, that's kind of not an accepted thing because we're, we're gunning so hard for like people accepting all cultures, which is great. Totally get that. I love that. But at the same time, there are people of color like myself who don't, who aren't necessarily super into <laughs> the American culture, their parents' culture, or really like any specific culture. Like they just kind of were like, they just exist and they're happy being themselves. But I've read that some people call that like internalized hate. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't see it that way. But then that creates like fighting within the community. Like, oh, you're not so-and-so enough. Just like this representation book. This wasn't represented well enough. You didn't tell our story good enough. So now it, you got to go. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's a whole lot of things together. People want what they want and they get angry when they don't have it. And then the authors are put down and it's like, we're, we're not helping each other by doing that. <laughs> I really wish people were a little more patient and a little more kind about it. I mean, getting a book even accepted into the, into a publishing house is a huge deal as it is, because you could send your manuscript to like 12 places and no one will say yes. And you can like do it for months on months on months and you hear no, 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 no. You finally get a yes. And you're like, well, finally, like, let me. Now I'm now my dream will come true. And then after years of happening, it shows up. Yay, I'm so happy. My dreams are come true. I gotta I gotta sell these books. Otherwise they're not gonna give me another book deal. And someone shows up and says, Oh, you did everything wrong. Now your dream's taken away. It's just I don't think people even realize what they're doing to each other. Does that mean you know what I mean? Like no, I totally know what you mean. And I think that in cases like that, white people who are attempting to be allies end up being counterproductive because they're throwing their like 
power and their weight around in ways that just end up being destructive because they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Because no matter how much research you do, it's not going to like substitute an experience, you know? Exactly. Is that a controversial opinion you guys were making? <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. I think being woke is like great. It's great that you're paying attention. It's great that you're listening. But like you said, at the same time, all because you know a little bit or you think you know a little bit, that doesn't mean that you really have, you're not the authority. So you can't be over here like, this is what the book should look like. And you don't really know what you mean. I remember in college, I wrote a a story about um, this young boy in Panama. And that's where my mom is from. And um, I was describing the buildings and the architecture and this one girl, because she's going on a mission trip to Panama, she said that what I wrote was inaccurate. And I was like, what? And she said, and then not only did she say that, she said Panamese people. And I was like, you mean Panamanian people? And she's like, oh, is that what that's called? Yes. Like she was, she's just because she knew a little bit to go. She thinks she knows more than me. And that's like half of my heritage. You know what I mean? So you're right. Like it can, it can be a bit destructive. I know that the intention is to be helpful, but like, if you really don't know what you're talking about, just let other, let other people who actually live that experience, let them speak. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of, and good intentions don't outweigh negative consequences. I know it's tough. People want to be allies. People want to be woke, but you, you really just need, People in power, specifically, I think white people just need to kind of pull back a little bit. Not that you can't say what you want or what you like, but you just just pull back just a bit so then the rest of us can come forward and speak from our specific perspective. And then you can, like, once I think you've talked to people and you and you understand a little bit, you can maybe give your opinion. Just don't don't give your opinion as if, like, you know everything. Don't, be, don't act like you're the authority, because you really don't know. For sure. We're all just nodding yeah. and off. Yeah. What can people who work in publishing do, even if they're not the big wigs, I guess? Uh, and is it different? I'm going to add, is it different? And I'm sure it is. Is it different for people depending on how much uh, societal power they have? Yes. Oh my God, the power is everything. So like if you're, what people can do when they're not, they're not, they don't have to be like the CEO, the head at the top, right? But a big thing that is a problem is people aren't, people of color aren't getting hired. They're, and when they are getting hired, they're not, their retention rate is so low. And it's like, I mean, how do you expect change to happen? And you're not bringing in anyone new, then it's just not going to happen. You you can't have a bunch of woke people running around thinking that they know and they don't. So it's like, you have to bring someone. It, it, this is just like the whole Laguchi scandal. You do you remember like this, like the sweater with the giant like mouth? Okay, well, that was the whole thing. It was a Gucci sweater and you pull it over your mouth. And then there was like big red lips and it was a black sweater. And it wasn't supposed to be racist or blackface. That's what they said. But everyone was like, come on, it that looks racist. And Gucci defended themselves saying, oh, well, we didn't think it was racist. Like we didn't know. But if they would have hired like black people, if they would hire black people, they would have been like, hey, don't make this. It's going to be bad. Just don't do it. And it's it's similar to the publishing industry. There aren't, they're not hiring these people. You're not like training us. You're not giving us jobs. You're not consulting us. You're not really including us at all. 
So if you're if you're in a somewhat powerful position and you claim that you want change, you need you need to work from your position of power and help the people who aren't empowered. That's really that's really the whole thing. You don't have to be the CEO. You could even be I don't know like your own independent agent. You could be an agent. You could be like a, publish, a small publishing house. It really doesn't matter. Just as long as you have some form of power and you you really want to change things, hire people of color. That's really. I think that's a that'll be a huge step forward. And then also accept books by people of color and other marginalized groups. You know what I mean? Publish them, market for them, help them. <laughs> Should that be the title of this episode? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hire them, help them. Hire people of color. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I really think that that's, that's a huge step. Just just involve us and pay us because we have bills. You know what I'm saying? We have bills too. We have dreams and we need money to achieve those dreams. So that's that's really what you can do. And as an author, like I said, hire editors of color, please. And especially if you have characters of color in your story, please like hire us as sensitivity readers, hire us as editors, just include us. In my industry, uh, the kind of, issue about hiring people of color also becomes a deeper issue because there's lots of companies. I work generally for nonprofits where um, there's been this huge movement to create more equitable hiring practices, which is awesome, but has resulted in a lot of ways where there's being temporary or part-time jobs created that they're being filled Mm -hmm. by people of color, which like, is a step but like i still don't think it necessarily like it still doesn't fill in the inequality right because if you're a temporary employee if you're a part-time employee you still don't have the same power the same status in whatever company you're working for as like full-time positions Mm -hmm. so like it's also about creating hiring practices that are like actually equitable you know not just like band-aid hiring practices either or that's yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know if that the same sort of thing is happening in publishing, but like in my industry, that's been a huge thing that we've been seeing lately. And it's like, no, we have to actually sit down and fix this. Like we can't just, yeah. we can't just bring in a, this rotating crop of people all the time and just like say that it's fine now because they're people of color for the most part. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just like you said, it's part-time work and we're over here like, hey man, like part-time jobs aren't going to cut it. And either either way, we'd have to like get other jobs, right? And that could interfere with the first, the actual job that we want. It's like, and and from a person of color standpoint, if I went to a company and I saw that all the white people have full-time jobs and I'm over here with the part-time job and I'm struggling to get by, the very first thing I would think of is what the hell? Why why am I the only one who like has a part-time job? So you're right. Like it, the hiring practices need to be improved. You can't, you can't just have for brownie points a brown person. It's not that's that's not how it works. If because, like you said, it's it, to us even we can see through the bullshit and be like, okay, well they, they don't actually care about us. They're just we're being used as like a token, so they can say, oh, well we have black people on our staff or whomever, and it's it's not fair to us and it just doesn't really make sense because like you said a part-time employee doesn't have the same weight as a full-time employee so we're we're still really not getting the power that we want and we get told like we need to be grateful for having a job and i mean yeah we are grateful for having a job but we just want the same sort of job that everyone else is getting you know and i don't yeah yeah it's it's tough i think people 
want to believe that they're doing enough when it comes to hiring practices, but they're not. <laughs> I think I think they want to believe that, but that's not the truth. It's easier just to hire someone who is from your group. And because I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's, you don't have to worry about all this extra stuff. But if you're hiring someone who's from a marginalized group, there's all this other stuff. There's like, there's just so many layers to it. Like, am I, I don't know, even like the person getting hired, we're like, am I only hired because I'm the brown person? Am I only hired because X, Y, Z? Am I not getting jobs because I'm a person of color? Hi, employers need to include us. <laughs> we, we need to, we need, but like you said, we need to be included in positions of power because there are so many people who are capable. And I think a lot of the time we get like, uh, maybe not discriminated against, but like not hired because we don't have like a high education that other people have, which I can understand, I guess, like why you would hire someone who's like has a higher uh, degree, right? But there are people who don't have fancy degrees and they're just as talented, but they, they just get cut out. And that's a real shame. And then on top of that, like they don't, like I said, they don't always have the resources to go to different places where they'll be accepted. They just, I think just general hiring practices need to be more inclusive. That would really help too. Have you come across any sort of like legislation or any, uh, I don't know if you would, but like any sort of like company that does it well, that it, where it's not just like, you are the diversity hire and now you have to like weigh that, wear that burden. I can't say that I have, to be honest, but then again, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really, I, all my work is remote. So I'm pretty much working from home all the time. So I, I don't necessarily experience that. Oh, I'm clearly the, the, the diversity hire per se. So I'm, I mean, I'm just at my house, like working as much as I can, but I mean, generally in the workplace I actually I don't I can't really speak on this because most of my physical workplaces that I've been to have had people of color in it like enough so that I don't feel awkward but it's just like I said the high when I'm getting rejected for jobs is when I'm like oh this is this sucks (laughs) I wonder Maggie and I are also in entry level positions right because we're your age so we're well because I'm fucking unemployed. <laughs> yeah, but like you're going, you're, you know, you've got a part-time gig coming up and you have been in entry-level positions before. Like, how do we, and you don't, if you don't feel comfortable ask, answering this or like, I know that you're only one person, so you can't answer for everyone. Right. But yeah. like, like, how do we be good coworkers and like help make the environment more inclusive? Um, even if we don't have a lot a power <laughs> right. because we have some power maybe simply because like we are more likely to be hired I like you said it, it is something I can't answer for everybody but there's a youtuber who named Cat Black who kind of touched on this and she was she's a transgender woman right and she was made a video about like pronouns like how how do we deal with pronouns do, do we want people to automatically assume our pronouns or do we want them to ask and she was saying on the one hand you don't necessarily want people to constantly ask you because then it feels like they're calling you out and on the other hand you do want them to assume because then it makes you feel more included so it feels sort of like that in work workplaces you don't want to be constantly like your your race or your heritage or whatever constantly brought up 
because then you're like, okay, like I get it. <laughs> I'm different than you guys. But you don't also want to be treated as though your heritage and your race aren't important. So like, for example, if you can kind of feel that someone may be like doing a microaggression against you and then you tell your coworkers about it and they're like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, don't worry about it. And you notice it, but no one else seems to notice. So it's it's really a balancing act. I I I can't really say for everybody, but if it were me, Jahani and I'm there, I would just prefer to be treated like everyone else. But I also don't want you to ignore that I am different from you. But you don't have to like say, Oh Jahani, like you're brown, so you don't understand you might not understand this like traditionally white thing. And it's like, well, I can I can like it too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't want assumptions made about you. You don't want people to necessarily be all delicate with you, like they like they can't say certain things around you because you're the brown person. But not like things that are outright racist. I mean like little things. I don't know. It's it's a it's a balancing act. Just treat us like people. But also, so don't be like too sensitive about it. But don't point, yeah, to just treat us like people, please. We, we want to be included. We want, we want our differences to be acknowledged, but not pointed out to us all the time. Or, or like you're always talking about it with other people. It's, it makes you feel like you're, you're an outcast because no one else gets their race talked about all the time. I know that's tough. It's not like a clear cut answer because, I mean, people are going to feel differently. No, no, I understand. I just feel like um, I've noticed in some of my jobs where like people Mm -hmm. of color are treated differently and I don't notice everything because I am a white person and because I notice, I just notice that I get treated better sometimes and I don't know how to, (laughs) I don't know, like being in an entry-level position and I'm sure people listening might also feel this way. Like, I just don't know how to like, handle that and be like hey that's not right. cool to your boss or it's, something. yeah it's it's tough like because you you yeah. can't possibly know what it's like to be me because you're not me right I don't know what it's like to be you because I'm not you so it's really hard for you to just it's not you can't just know what we want right you kind of have to ask but then asking I know sometimes is like how do you even bring that up to somebody and if everyone's asking how do you want me to treat you it's just it feels like oh great like everyone's coming for me I don't know it's I'm sorry listeners I don't have a, like a direct answer you you really just have to I, I want to say like play it by ear and treat the person that's in your office or wherever who is different than you just treat them like you would treat anyone else and if they come to you and tell you that they're experiencing like a microaggression or they don't feel comfortable, I think, I think it should be okay for you to ask them, okay, well, like, how would you like to be treated? How can I help you feel more comfortable? And I want to say that that should be the safest route if like they come to you and tell you rather than you just assuming. So like just being a good friend seems to be a lot of, your advice like if somebody tells you that they have experienced a microaggression believe them right yeah believe them don't just don't just blow it off like no you're it's in your head don't worry about it because I have a friend who's like that I love her to to bits but she she kind of does that to me too like if I'll tell her that I was out in public let's say and I was the only brown person in the room and people were looking at me and it felt uncomfortable. She'll be like, oh, well, maybe it's just because you you were looking really good that day. Or maybe it's because like your your outfit was great. And it's like, hon, 
<laughs> that's it's hard for me to believe that because it's like, well, other people look better than me, but they they didn't get stared at. You know what I mean? Don't do that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just just listen and respond in kindness. Respond accordingly. Don't think you can solve all their problems because you're not going to be able to do that either. Just listen and like be there as best as you can for the people who are different than you. That's good advice. Thank you. I try. <laughs> Do we do we have any other? Um, oh, do you have any? Is it my turn to ask a question or is it Maggie's? <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay. Uh, do you have any tips for other? Do you have any tips for writers to get around prejudice and barriers? Like other tips for marginalized writers? Yes, I wrote them down because it was kind of long. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, we are prepared. Uh, just a, just a little. So, like, definitely write your truth and recognize that you don't have to appeal to the white audience. So you don't have to like dim your truth to then make it easier to digest for other people. Because if we keep doing that, then nothing is going to change. It's going to, it's still going to be diluted for a long time. So just like write straight, write your truth, do it, hon. You know what I'm saying? And like be, I don't know. It like I said, like I was saying with the whole thing on Twitter. I know it's going to be tough. Like people might come at you for the way you're writing, but just do what you got to do. Write your story. It needs to be out there. We need more of them. Do it. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I was saying like, in order for you to be like the best writer you can be, and to try to overcome these barriers, is to band together with other people who are like you. So like, cause then you, it kind of like helps you hone your own craft when you're like, yeah, like other people, other people feel the way I feel. Like they understand certain things that, that I don't know, the wider culture doesn't understand. It just helps you. You need a good supportive writing group and all of you maybe together could form another like kick-ass writing group. And then you guys can like band together and do whatever the hell you want to do. <laughs> or you maybe start your own company, like who knows, but you need to be around other people who like understand you. So that's another thing. And then this is me I don't know if it'll offend anyone but I do still kind of think you need to appeal to white powerful people maybe not necessarily in your writing but you need to get in front of them and like get one of them on your side so whether that means like if you can afford it going to a writing conference and like meeting people and getting in you know talking to them face to face and being like this is what I'm writing this is what I'm doing and like please represent me <laughs> like I honestly think that's what's going to do it you really unfortunately at the end of the day you're still at a disadvantage as a marginalized person you just are so you kind of you just need to get someone who has access on your side and I really think that'll help I know it's not as you know it's not as hopeful <laughs> as, as I wish it was but that's in my opinion that's kind of the truth because if it wasn't for my mentor I wouldn't be where I am and she's a white woman and she's she helped me get to where I am and that's just kind of like how it is right now. So in summation, write your truth, find your group, find your person of power, and you'll make it. All I can think of is like, get yourself a white sponsor. You need a wealthy white I lady. know, I know. <laughs> I know, that's not great. I know. No, I, it's, I think it's funny. <laughs> It's the truth. Actually, I should have said that. Yeah, you need, you really do need a white sponsor, a white powerful sponsor. And get that. And I genuinely think you'll be okay. That's just the way it is right now. You can try to find a powerful, like, person of color sponsored. Actually, that's ideal. Do that. Try that first. And if you can't get that, find a white sponsor. 
who believes in you, then I really think you'll be okay. Wonderful. Um, I don't know how I want to wrap this up. <laughs> Does anyone have any suggestions? Uh, yeah, let's do what we normally do. Uh, Johanny, will you tell us, what are you reading at the moment? I'm reading an interesting romance about Disney characters, specifically Meg, Hades, and Hercules. And it's it's a complicated but interesting love story. And I love it. Harmony, what are you reading? I'm reading the same book I've been reading for like 10 episodes now. It's Jonathan Strange. I'm sorry, this is like, all the listeners are going to hear the same book over. It's it's Jonathan oh. Strange and Mr. Norrell. Um, she does not follow some of your <laughs> suggestions for right for white uh, writers. It's an enjoyable read, though. But yeah, it's oh, definitely boy. got some problems. And there's a lot of them out there that are already published <laughs> and you pick it up and you're just like, oh my, how did this get through? It was in 2005. I like went back because some of the descriptions, I don't know, Maggie, I've already talked a little bit about this with Maggie. Like, I think she's trying to go for the way that books were written at the mm-hmm. time period that she's writing in. And I'm only like, I'm a little bit over halfway, so I don't know. But she also leaves, like, female characters out a lot, um, even though it's, like, a woman author. So I think maybe, like, she's trying to say something about that, but I don't know. It's uncomfortable to read. But it's also, like, an enjoyable read because, like, the book itself is good, but yeah, it's got a lot of problems, and I don't know how that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Maggie, what are you reading? I am reading Ship of Magic by Robin Hobb. What's it about? Who actually is a is a white author who does like a really, I mean, obviously I can't like say that the representation is good because it's, but like from at least the tips that you gave, she does a pretty good job about writing a, about people of different races, especially in a fantastical Ooh. setting. So highly recommend oh, awesome. checking her out. What did you say it was called again? Ship of Magic by Ooh. Robin Hobb. Ran that down. Um, yeah, it's like... It's, it's, a it's series, the first of a series, right? yeah. It's like a spinoff series to one that I've been reading for a long time. But mm-hmm. yeah, she does a really good job of like talking about people of color without essentially explicitly being like, this is a black person, <laughs> this is an Asian person. <laughs> like she, she really actually followed a lot of your tips. She's really cool. Oh, awesome. Oh, that's great. I love that. You know what else like fantasy authors do? I, I'm glad she doesn't do this. Like my friend and I were talking about it. People of color in fantasy books tend to be like the monsters or like the animal-ish people. And like, that is so annoying. You see, and you're just like, oh, again, like we're still other, we're still different. But like, they, it's like wanting to try to make us exotic, which is another annoying word. Exotic is for items, like objects, not for people. Sorry. Anyway. And then, and then like, you could tell it's trying to be like complimentary, but it, it's just not. And I'm glad this girl, Robin Hall, I'm glad she doesn't yeah. do that. I'll check that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a really cool concept because actually most of the book is dominated by people of color and they're like some of the only people who have relationships with these like awesome dragons. And then like the white people in the situation end up being the people who are kind of othered. And it's like a very interesting and like really compelling Mm -hmm. way to tell a story. I wouldn't say that like race is at the center of what she's doing, but like while I was reading the entire series, I was like, you yes. go Robin Hobb like you're you're turning these tropes upside yes. down I dig you we love we love uh what is it diversion of expectations yeah we love it yeah 
Well, I'm heckin' to order it. I'm heckin' ordering that book today for the library. Cool. <laughs> I feel like this could give us good homework, but we haven't done it yet with a guest. Are you interested in doing homework? Do you have, like, a homework thing for Ooh. yourself or for other people? You can also give them to the reader. Oh, my God. Oh. I'm I'm shocked. I didn't. I'm so it's so unexpected. <laughs> I um, God, I don't even know what I would give people. What I could give people to read. I I really would. I really would love for people to read that book I mentioned. Like everything you love will burn because it's about like white supremacy and how it's very much still rampant. And the because the, this guy he like follows white supremacists all over the country. And in it, he like, he like mentions that people like to think that these people don't exist or that like what they're doing isn't really affecting anybody. And it totally is. And he like gives history and like gets people's first account opinions and like what they actually think, like unedited and stuff. And even as a woman of color, when I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, this is terrifying. But at the same time, I loved it because I was like, what are these people thinking? Like, who are they? Where are they? Like, and all this other stuff. So it was interesting to see like how those extreme views actually like leak in to the mainstream but you don't you don't want to believe it's there but it totally is there's one and then i don't know i don't know about homework i didn't expect this um no you're all good you also don't need to worry about assigning more than one piece it's all good sometimes harmony and i's homework has been really ridiculous like you know what we just have to have fun this week harmony's homework a couple weeks ago was like i need to make a baked good (laughs) need something to relax (laughs) My homework is going to be to try and um, read more works from people of color that aren't on the bestseller list. And I need to do research for that because usually I'm just like, oh, everyone says this book is good. And then I read it. But like, of course, it's going to appeal to me because it's appealed to a mass market. Great homework. I love that. (laughs) Mags, do you have any homework for yourself? Yeah, I think my homework for this week is going to be to go to my library and talk to them about how they kind of pick the books that they're going to bring into the library and make sure that I'm checking out books specifically written by people of color. I feel like I'm always pretty conscious when I'm like in the bookstore about it, but I think that sometimes because my money doesn't directly go towards the library, I don't end up paying as much attention to that. But I know that like library sales affect all of the other things in the publishing industry too. So I want to be more conscious about that when I check out as well. Yes. My library, I don't know about where you guys are, but my library um, does, they have this program called Zip Books. It is so good. Oh my God. So you can go on, you can go like on Amazon and you can find a book that you like and just order it. And then the library will just like deliver it straight to you. And then once you're done reading it, you put it back. Right. So it's feels good because even though like I'm just the one person who bought it, the library will just pay for it as long as it's under 35 bucks. So I've used it to buy like a bunch of books from people of color. And it's, for me, it's like, it's nice. Cause I was like, okay, I can, I don't have to use my money. And then other people are exposed to it. So it's like, if your library does anything like that, that would be great. What's it called again? That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's called zip books. Oh wait, dude, Johanny, do you want people to follow you anywhere? Oh, uh, I do have a Twitter, but I'm pretty boring on it because I I don't really use it all that often. But when I do use it, it's at jmart.com. jmart.com. Yeah, so it's like J-M-A-R-T and then it's D-O-T-C-O-M. Okay. But you know what? I might have changed my handle, so hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I I like, no, it's the same. Okay, cool. It's the same. All right. So that's jmart.com. Awesome. That's where you can see some Twitter posts by Johanny. <laughs> yes. 
I'm mostly retweeting like other writer stuff. So like helpful things because I like to be helpful and also some like really shitty memes that I love and I think are hilarious. So <laughs> if you want some like writing encouragement, random writing advice and funny shit, follow me. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for li- listening to Rebel Girls Book Club Harmony and I will be back next week. Thank you so much, Johanny, for joining us. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, oh, if you have opinions on this episode, um, email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Please email. (laughs) Okay. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly. And it's by the gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Oh, all the